Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail, our highway in the sky. For those of you standing, please hold on to the handrails throughout our journey and stay clear of the doors. For the comfort of others, no smoking, please. Thank you. Hi, folks. You're listening to Two Men and the Mouse, episode 200 on the White Dragon Podcast Network, recorded live at the White Dragon Studio in Orlando, Florida, and Rogue Comics in Cranford, New Jersey, on June the 29th, 2020. This is your everyday guide to the magic of Walt Disney World and the larger Disney universe beyond it. My name is Kevin Kessler, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Peter Mandel. Hey, Kev. How you doing? I'm 200 episodes. I'm doing 200 episodes worth of excitement right now. That is a lot. That is a lot. That is definitely a lot. Um, it is more than a lot. Folks, we are two lifelong Disney fanatics who have managed to keep the magic of Disney alive in our lives every day. And we want to share that magic with you. So pull up a chair, gather the family, or pop in your favorite set of headphones, and let's experience the magic together. Pete! Kevin. 200. Wow, we did it. We've hit 200. So it's now, the last episode. No, no, it's not. We're on the, we're on the climb to 300 now. Oh man, I didn't know we were going forward. So yeah, right, no, sorry, sorry to break to 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 you know break that to you like all of a sudden. We're doing another two hundred. Right, right. That's the point. Yeah, it's whole, the whole point is you know another two hundred, and then another after that until we hit episode one thousand, um, which will be five hours long. Right. I am. I gotta say, I'm a little uh, distracted at the moment. Okay, I as, can tell. As horrible as that sounds, um, not. A minute before we went on the air, I got the email saying that the passholder preview for the parks has now gone online. Now, did you leak to anyone when we were going to record the show? No, I did not because uh, we weren't really sure. So um, I have three different um, devices going right now, all trying to connect. And, um, so at some point during the show, it might be like, Oh, hold on. And then like, you know, it's basically, it's like, it just like, it takes you to like this, a screen, basically nothing on it. And then like a little window pops up with Woody that says, please wait while we complete your request. And that turns for a while. And then that goes away. All right. So I'm assuming it's like a virtual queue. I'm assuming. Cause I'll tell you, I, I did the, the park reservation system. And, um, I, there, I couldn't get anything for the whole first week. Right. Well, so, you know, I mean, we recorded while I was trying to do it and right now it's a, now it's my, thing. now it is my turn. I don't have Dave yep. Weikert to, to help me with mine. Uh, but Dave, where are you? Okay. So you ready for the news this week? Let's do it. Yeah, we've got a big interview coming up with Mark Daniel, which you know what? In, in the interest of, um, full disclosure, we recorded that a week ago. We did. So we had to kind of, you know, right. make it happen when but, we could. But now we are um, recording the news, then we'll go to commercial, and then we'll go to the interview, and then we'll come back, you know, live to close the show out. So, all right, worldwide news. And the news brought to you, as always, by our good buddy Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, who will plan your Disney vacation for you at no additional cost to you. All right, worldwide news. Uh, Disney has now opened hotel reservations for 2021. 
Okay, we knew it was going to happen. Right. How so as of January 1st, 2021, you can make new reservations. However, the All-Star Resorts, the Wilderness Lodge, and Port Orleans Resort remain unavailable and do not yet have a reopening date. Wonder what's up with that. Well, now that doesn't mean that they're not going to be open by January. I think it just means that as of right now there are no plan- concrete plans for it, you know? Right. Uh the reservation system is now open for everybody. Aha! Uh, I got, uh, sorry, uh, to, I, I, I got the pass holder preview. <laughs> Very exciting. I didn't get it. So I'm sitting here on four devices, like staring at it while trying to also do the show at the same time. And, uh, meanwhile, my wonderful girlfriend managed to get through right away. And okay, teamwork. Yeah. So teamwork makes the dream work. So actually it was my right. girlfriend's mother. So, okay. um, you know, gotta say thank you to my girlfriend's mother. Um, but it was, uh, so yeah, July 9th I'm going, apparently. Okay, it's my birthday. So, oh, okay. I'm going to be uh, ringing in the Peter Mandel birthday. Um, yeah, you, you can know. have like a celebratory snack. Celebratory snack that does not involve cheese. Right, please do that. Right, I will do that. I'll 100% do that. Okay, so as we were saying, the reservation system is now open for everybody. Uh, now, as of Friday, it was open for annual pass holders. Now, I, I started making trying to make the reservations, as I said. Wasn't able to get the first week. As of yesterday, uh, which was the 28th, it's now open to everyone. So, including people that just bought tickets. Um, so, de- the Destination D event at Walt Disney World has been canceled, to the surprise of absolutely no one. <laughs> Correct. This was a D23 event, and it's the official fan club for Disney. Uh, so D23 announced that it will postpone its Destination D Fantastic Worlds event until 2021. The event was due to take place in November at Walt Disney World and will now uh, make the move uh, to the following year at a date that is still yet to be announced, which I think is smart. D23 said that it will continue to host exclusive virtual events, however, throughout 2020. Okay. <clears throat> the event, Destination D Fantastic Worlds, was meant to honor Disney's many magical places, from the extraordinary to the fantastical. In addition, the Walt Disney Archives had planned an all-new exhibit that will include 50 iconic treasures representing 50 years of the archives. So, that's still coming, but it's on the back burner until 2021. Uh, so, here's some... You know what? how sometimes I say, like, oh, where do you, like, annual pass holder or local news? I'm like, well, this is good for me, but you don't care about this. I finally have one. That you care about that I don't. Okay. Okay. The NBA season is officially now continuing at Walt Disney World. It's been rumored for a while, and now it's official. Gameplay will resume on July 30th with 22 teams, the eight teams in each conference with the highest current winning percentages, and the six teams currently within six games of the eighth seed in either conference. I have no idea what I just said. Okay, I wish you had looked at which participating teams were, because my beloved New York Knicks aren't even close to participating. No. So they will be at home uh, playing golf, while the rest of the NBA is trying to vie for a championship. Right, right. I, I mean, that's kind of, like, common for this time of year, right? I mean, if you're a Knicks fan, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, typically this time of year is for baseball, but this year it's for basketball. I don't so. know when the basketball season is, I don't know. Um, so the playoffs, uh, will feature 16 teams and the NBA finals will end no later than October 13th at the ESPN wide world of sports complex. Games will be played at the complex in the arena, HP Fieldhouse, and visa athletic center. Players will be staying at the grand destino tower, grand Floridian and yacht club. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited to have sports back because I consume a lot of sports and I have nothing currently. 
So I'm very excited about it. Having said that, you know, I, it is yeah, I mean, I mean, if unless it's unless it's the NHL, I don't care. Because well, the NHL is working on coming back. Too. Hockey, hockey is my only sport now. Are these going to be like with no fans? I assume. Correct. Yeah, so it's going to just be an empty. Uh, it's going to be like a Knicks game, basically. Well, no, the Knicks sell out every game. Do so they really? The Knicks, yeah, it's massive. All right, what, what if I said Knicks. it would be like a Nets game? No, the Nets are, come on, the Barclays Center, Nets are popular now, too. All right. Uh, I mean, I get the sentiment that you're going for. It yes. is, so you're going to have, like, the players, of course, and the traveling party for each team, which is, you know, a, a good amount of trainers, assistant coaches, things like that. Okay. But there are going to be no fans, right. per se, in attendance. Right. Are they going to do, like, the WWE and put, like, college players in the stands to make noise? No, I was reading an article about the San Francisco Giants in baseball, and they are doing a thing where their season ticket holders can send in a picture of them. They're going to put them on weather <laughs> cardboard cutouts and put them in their seat. Yeah, I actually thought that was clever. Other countries were doing this with soccer games, and I was I was just about to bring this up, like, oh, are they going to do that, like, as a joke? But I guess they are actually doing it. So I thought that that was pretty cool. That is pretty so. cool. Uh, so Florida has closed down alcohol consumption at all bars in the state. Oh, you know, let me just make one quick point. So sorry to cut you off. No, go for it. Um, I did read that none of the players or their entourages, so they're allowed to bring family members and stuff like that. None of the players or anyone with them is going to be allowed to go into Disney parks. Okay. Like they just can't even buy a ticket. Right. They are keeping it a bubble scenario. They want everyone kind of almost quarantined within this NBA playing facility which is why you've seen some players opt out there have been actually a handful of players already who have said listen i'm not coming are they going to the parks instead (laughs) they're probably not going (laughs) to the parks but you know because they have a a loved one who you know could be predisposed or you know i've read that some people want to you know spend time with their children who might not be able to go to this type bubble scenario so uh the odds of you bumping into the very famous LeBron James in Epcot, it's it's very, very unlikely. It's As we talked happen. about last week, I wouldn't know if I did. Right. So. Well, don't worry. Don't go looking for him, Kevin, now, because he won't be there. Okay. Um, well, what if I'm walking around the grounds of the Grand Floridian somehow, like I've broken in? Like, maybe I'll find him I, then. You know, it's curious. I bet you they're going to have the parts where they are pretty sectioned off the the level of quarantine that they're almost talking about for this bubble scenario seems like it's going to be really enforced mm. i've read all sorts of things that the nba players are even concerned about, you know the, the disney employees and well they're going home and doing this this and this and then coming back so i i think it's going to be a really really enforced bubble well if you're going to be in so. a bubble if you're going to be quarantined i can think of worse places to be quarantined than disney's grand floridian resort and spa Right. And I know that you think that that is totally deluxe, but you're talking about athletes who get nothing but like, you know, the greatest, greatest hotels and treatment this is like true. in the world. So I don't know if, you know, I feel, so, up I feel and, terrible uh, for them. I really do. Right. <laughs> I saw MLS uh, at Major League Soccer is also they are staying at the Swan or the Dolphin, I believe. Oh, them. I feel bad for then. They are doing a tournament-style comeback, which is also going to be on Disney grounds. And okay. I saw that they released a video last night just of, like, some of them, like, going into the hotel and stuff. So that is also going to be... My my friend and frequent guest, Zach Adams, uh, he's a huge soccer fan. Uh, frequent guest on the show. He, um, uh, so I was like, wow, this is kind of like, you know, your two worlds kind of coming together, uh, you know, with 
you know, Major League Soccer and Disney World coming together. Now, is the Orlando Magic one of the teams coming for the NBA? Because um, it'd be really funny believe, if they're not. I don't believe they are. Like, it's right in their backyard and they're so, not. Uh, the way that it works is you have to be within six games of, you know, a playoff position. Yeah, I West, read that and didn't understand it. In the West, that incorporates a couple teams. I mean, we're doing that just to see if we can get Zion in. But in the East, the only team within six games that wasn't already in a playoff slot, per se, is the Washington Wizards. So hmm. the rest of the East is kind of shut out. Didn't Michael Jordan play on that team for a little while? Yeah, he actually had like some ownership for a little bit and okay. then he made a comeback. And... I was like, why did that sound familiar? Yeah, but, okay. All right, Florida has closed alcohol consumption at bars, which will impact Walt Disney World. A tweet okay. from Halsey Bashirs, Secretary of the Department of Business and Professional Regulation, said, Effective immediately, the Department of Business and Professional Regulation is suspending on-premises consumption of alcohols at bars statewide. The move, the move comes as the state records almost 9,000 new cases of, of COVID-19 yesterday, smashing the previous record of just over 5,000 new cases. The state of Florida allowed bars to reopen on June 3rd, operating at 50% capacity inside, while Disney World operates numerous bars at Disney Springs and its resort hotels, which will presumably be required to follow this new guideline. So that means places like Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar, which I don't believe is even open yet, will not be able to serve alcohol, so you might as well just not even open that yet. Correct. Uh, something like Wine Bar George would not be allowed to serve wine, and that has been open. Um so I don't know what they're doing with that. But now I'm wondering if this, like, is the beer cart in Germany at Epcot considered a bar? I would assume not. Well, can restaurants serve alcohol? Restaurant, I believe restaurants can. I think from what I saw in the news and, and from what my girlfriend's father told me, um, <clears throat> if you have more than, if, 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 if you generate more than 50% of your income, from uh, alcohol at the establishment, it's considered just a straight up bar, and you don't, you're not able to serve alcohol. But if you, right. if most of, like be our guest, you'd still be able to get a glass of wine. What if you went to something like, um, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the place in Springs. It's been there forever. House of Blues is that still there? Uh, yeah, that's still there. I believe that's considered a restaurant. Right, even though they have a bar. Well, yeah, they have a bar, but they are mostly a restaurant. So you, but you could go to the bar there and get alcohol. Sit at the bar. Uh, probably, yeah. Okay. Uh, the Actors Equity Union, uh, which gets mentioned in our Mark Daniel interview, I believe, uh, have actually called on Walt Disney World to delay its reopening. Have you seen this? I have. Yeah. So the, Disney's been getting a lot of uh, outside pressure from a lot of different groups to delay the opening of Walt Disney World, much like the the opening of Disneyland has been delayed, which we'll get to in a second. So uh, Actors' Equity Union has described four principles for safe and healthy theatrical work, which includes extensive testing and very few, if any, new cases being identified in the area. In a statement, Equity said, if Disneyland has postponed, it is unclear how Walt Disney World can responsibly move toward reopening when coronavirus cases are much worse in Florida. This is from Mary, uh, Mary McColl, the executive director of Actors' Equity Association. For weeks, we have made it clear to Disney that testing is a fundamental part of maintaining a safe and healthy environment for everyone, from the guests to the cast. It is deeply disturbing that while coronavirus cases in Florida surge, Disney is refusing to provide regular testing to one of the few groups of workers in the parks uh, who, by the very nature of their jobs, cannot use personal protective equipment. 
Now is the time for Disney to pause, focus on the science, and put the safety of their actors and stage managers first by making regular testing available. I, I thought that live performances weren't coming back right away. I think Disney wants to do stage shows. Okay. Okay. Um, so, I mean, what, I mean, I, like, like I said, I have the pass holder preview for the ninth and I'm like nervous about it because there've been so many new cases sprouting up in Florida. Like I'm almost, I, I almost don't want to do it. You know what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. I think you just have to go and be vigilant. Honestly, I'm go- like, at this point, it's like, and, and I know this sounds like, oh, poor you, but like, at this point, I'm going for the show and going for Morty. Right. Will Morty wear a mask? That would be interesting. No, Morty doesn't have to wear masks because he's a monster. He's not a human being. Got it. So he can't catch, you know. I just thought maybe it would set a good precedent for others. Um, well, I don't believe they've made the ma- kind of mask that can fit over Morty's uh, face yet. <laughs> All right. Maybe somebody has tried to put a mask on Morty and it just doesn't work. So, you know, <laughs> these things happen. These things go through testing. Uh, the um, OK, so Disneyland has delayed its opening, but Walt Disney World has confirmed it has no plans to delay. In a statement, uh, the company said that this, that the state of California will not issue theme park reopening guidelines until sometime after the 4th of July. Disney will communicate a new reopening date for Disneyland once it receives approval from the state. Disney had planned to reopen Disneyland on July 17th, so the same day that Walt Disney World would be fully reopened. Uh, or two days after uh, Walt Disney World would be open. Downtown Disney will still open on July 9th as previously announced. Here's the statement. We previously announced a proposed phased reopening for our theme parks for July 17th, pending government approvals. Again, this is Disneyland. Uh, we developed enhanced health and safety protocols for both cast and guests at Shanghai Disney Resort, Hong Kong Disneyland Resort, and Walt Disney World Resort that have been approved, allowing us to reopen in a responsible manner and bring our cast members back to work. <coughs> the state of California now has now indicated that it will not issue theme park reopening guidelines until sometime after July 4th. Given the time required for us to bring thousands of cast members back to work and restart our business, we have no choice but to delay the reopening of our theme parks and resort hotels until we receive approval from government officials. Once we have a clear understanding of when guidelines will be released, we expect to be able to communicate a reopening date. Our downtown Disney district will reopen on July 9th, as previously announced, with health and safety protocols in place for our cast members and guests. The opening of our downtown Disney district has been previously approved in line with restaurant and retail openings throughout California. The Master Services Union, which represents our retail cast at this location, previously signed an agreement for members to return to work. In order to reopen our theme parks, we need to negotiate agreements with our unions to return employees to work. We have had positive discussions and are very pleased to have signed agreements from 20 union affiliates, including the Master Services Council, which represents more than 11,000 of our cast members. The signed agreement details plans that include enhanced safety protocols that will allow us to responsibly reopen and get thousands of our cast members back to work. We thank our cast and guests for their patience during this unprecedented time while we await approval from government officials. So there you go. All right. Uh, Now, in a memo to cast members, the new president of Walt Disney World, Jeff Vale, I guess V-A-H-L-E, I assume that's pronounced Vale or Val. I don't know. Sorry, Jeff, if you're listening. I know you are. Um, (laughs) He said, uh, we will bring our brand of Disney magic back to our theme parks in a responsible and measured way as we have done with our reopenings at Disney Springs, Fort Wilderness, and our deluxe villa resorts. Uh, Disney is reopening the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom on July 11th, with Epcot and Hollywood Studios following soon after on July 15th. But, However, it should be noted, and this should be noted to everybody who's considering coming down, Florida is currently recording record high levels of COVID-19, with more than 5,000 new cases being reported in each of the last two days alone. 
Um, that has actually increased since this article was published. I, be- I believe yesterday was almost 10,000. Um, wow. But I could be wrong on that. Um, Disney um, has also announced, and moving on, that r- the, the restaurants that will be reopening with the parks. You ready for this list? I'm very ready because I've read it. You know this is of importance to of me. Of course, so. this is of very much importance to you. I would I just bring- also like to point out that you're wearing like a, a Seton Hall uh, basketball tank top right now, and right. your your Haunted Mansion sleeve is on full display, and it is awesome. I figured it's a Monday. No one's going to come in here. I could wear a shirt without sleeves today. So, What, do you think people are coming into the comic book store expecting you to be in like formal wear? No, but you know, I normally have on a clever like comic book related T-shirt. And... Yeah, but I mean, I, so but the, Pete's uh, photos of Pete's uh, epic Haunted Mansion tattoo sleeve are on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups. Slash two men in the mouse. Um, okay, so Magic Kingdom. When Magic Kingdom reopens on July 11th, the following dining will be available. Aloha Isle. So you get to get your Dole Whip. Anti-Gravity's Galactic Goodies. Be Our Guest Restaurant, which we will go into more detail at, on in a minute. Cosmic Rays Starlight Cafe. So Sunny Eclipse is back to work because, again, much like Morty Monster, aliens cannot catch COVID-19. Correct. Uh, Joffrey's Coffee and Tea Company. The Jungle Navigation Company, um, Skipper Canteen, Liberty Square Market. So my favorite, which we're going to talk about on our Liberty Square episode next. Uh, Liberty Tree Tavern, my other favorite. The Main Street Bakery, Pecos Bill's Tall Tale Inn and Cafe, Pinocchio Village House, The Plaza Restaurant, Sleepy Hollow Treats, Storybook Treats, Sunshine Tree Terrace. So the orange bird is back at work because birds who have an orange for a head can also not catch any vi- human viruses and tony's town square restaurante no crystal palace no crystal palace i have noticed that uh i think it's because it's a character meal and you know no crystal palace um i noticed um i mean it's just joffrey's coffee and tea company so i'm assuming that means joffrey's revive in um you know main street bakery is back open i'm trying to think of like what's not open I mean, I guess they don't have to really, like, specify, like, the ice cream carts and stuff like that. Right. Do you think those are, like, like where you can get the the spring rolls on the way into Adventureland? Hmm. I don't know. Do carts count as... I don't know. Sleepy Hollow Full Treats is reopened. I'm, like, I'm just going, like, land by land in my head to try to... Right. Um, I didn't see the Friars Nook on here. Okay. So it looks like that's not going to be open. That's the only one I can really think of, though. I imagine Crystal Palace will reopen eventually soon. Um, it might not be a character meal, and it will definitely be family style. Oh yeah, at first it will. Well, won't yeah, be. that's the thing. These buffets are going to be hard to. I think they're all just going to convert to the way, like you know, Garden Grill does it, Nohana. Correct. I think that's just what's going to be at first, Correct. which I'm totally fine with. Uh, when Animal Kingdom reopens on July 11th, the following dining will be available. Anandapur ice cream truck, which is where you and your daughter get soft serve yeah. ice cream. Uh, Not you're... anymore. Now she likes going on Everest. So oh, I'm wow. Like so you're just like getting ice cream myself. by yourself. Yeah. Creature Comforts, the Dawa Bar, though can't serve alcohol. Uh, Dino Bite Snacks, Flame Tree Barbecue, Harambe Fruit Market, Isle of Java, Joffrey's Coffee and Tea Company. They have that great Joffrey's location right outside of uh, pretty much outside of all the parks. They have a Joffrey's. Right. Um. Actually, they don't have one outside of studios. I don't think. I think that's the only one. 
Mr. Kamal's, the Nomad Lounge, Pongu Pongu, the Rainforest Cafe, Restaurantosaurus, the Satuli Canteen. So pretty much everything you need to know is that the Flame Tree and Satuli Canteen are both going right. to be reopening. Because those are the two heavy hitters. Tamu Tamu Refreshments, Thirsty River Bar and Trek Snacks, Tiffin's Restaurant, which I have still not tried, but I've heard is wonderful. Trilo Bites, Yak and Yeti Local Food Cafes, and Yak and Yeti Restaurant. So again, pretty much everything. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Um, I did not see... Oh, wait, no. The Harambe Fruit Market is open, which is outside of the Harambe Marketplace. I don't know if the Harambe Marketplace will be open. Hmm. Unless some of these are the names of individual places in the Harambe Market that I'm just not seeing. Epcot. This is what everybody wants to know. When Epcot reopens on July 15th, the following will be available. Beer Garden. Chosa de Margarita. Coral Reef. Crepes de Chefs de France, the Fife and Drum Tavern, the Funnel Cake House, Garden Grill, uh, gel- the Viva, the, the Gelati Place, um, Joffrey's Coffee and Tea Company, Joy of Tea, which is where you can get the tipsy ducks in love in China, uh, Kabuki Cafe, Katsuda Grill, L'Artisan de Glacier, La Cantina de San Angel, La Cava de Tequila, La Hacienda de San Angel, the Land Cart, La Cellier Steakhouse, Popcorn in Canada, Refreshment Outpost, Refreshment Port, the Regal Eagle Smokehouse, which is new, which I still have to try, uh, the Rose and Crown Dining Room, the Rose and Crown Pub, San Angel Inn Restaurante, uh, Spice Road Table, Sunshine Seasons, Tangerine Cafe, Taste of Epcot International Food and Wine Festival Kiosks, Traveler's Cafe, the UK Beer Cart, and Via Napoli Ristorante e Pizzeria. Okay, that's a good amount of yeah, restaurants. pretty much everything. Again, pretty much everything. When Hollywood Studios reopens on July 15th, the following will be available. 50's Primetime Cafe, love it. Anaheim Produce, the Backlot Express, the Baseline Tap House, boo! No good? Yeah, well, it took over for the writer's stop. Give me my writer's yeah, stop back. Give me, give me my coffee and carrot cake cookie back in a place I, named I agree. writers. Let uh, me look at a nice selection of books. Well, and now, like, Baseline Tap House, that's a bar. Right. Like, I don't think that that's going to be able... They're not going to be able to sell anything. I am. Okay. Yeah. Docking Base 7, Food and Cargo over in Galaxy's Edge. The Hollywood Brown Derby. The Hollywood Brown Derby Lounge. Joffrey's Coffee and Tea Company. Mama Melrose's Ristorante Italiano. The milk stand. So don't worry, there's still milk in those banthas and weird um, uh, other aliens. You and know, mixing it with alcohol, fresh, but not a bar. Fresh squeezed uh, from Luke Skywalker. Um, <clears throat> August Cantina, which that surprised me. I didn't think that was going to reopen. That's a bar. Again, 100% a bar. Like but, they actually don't. Their food options are extremely, extremely limited. Right. Like it's 100% a bar. But they do have a, a lot of non-alcoholic beverages. Sure, they do. They do, and they're they're fun. I know. I've seen the menu. Yeah. Um, PV's Polar Pipeline, Pizza Rizzo, which shocks me because Pizza Why? Rizzo is a seasonal restaurant. Okay. Like you don't have to open Pizza Rizzo. No one expected you to open Pizza Rizzo. Well, I think they want to have as many places open to spread out the eating as possible, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Ronto Roasters. Which is another place that's really hard to social distance in. Uh, Rosie's All-American Cafe. Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater Restaurant. Uh, Sunshine Day Bar. And the Trolley Car Cafe. 
lot of places to go to eat when uh, when everything reopens. Yeah. All right. No resort news this week. No water park news. No Disney Spring news. But we have Magic Kingdom news. We're, we're going to spend some time here. Okay. Uh, so before we get to, you know, the news this week, um, we have one other bit of Magic Kingdom news. Be Our Guest Restaurant has been confirmed to end breakfast and become table service only. Fine with that. Magic Kingdom's Be Our Guest Restaurant is dropping breakfast and um, as of July 11th, 2020. The news, according to www.magic.com, the news isn't unexpected as the union that represents cast members at the restaurant had previously stated it would be table service only, but we now have confirmation that this will indeed be the case. Social distancing requires would be easier to manage in a table service setting, but of course, quick service lunch could return should restrictions be lifted at some point in the future. Reservations are not yet available, although Walt Disney World hotel guests can now make reservations to enter the Magic Kingdom. So, well, everyone can make reservations to enter the Magic Kingdom. Again, I'm reading an older article. All right, so you ready for the big news this week? Yep. The news that kind of dominated my weekend and and made me, like, just not want to hear these words anymore because everybody was talking about it so much? Tell me. Splash Mountain has been rethemed, is being rethemed to the Princess and the Frog. Now, love it. yeah, I love it. I'm start, right off the bat. I'm going to say to everybody and you might switch us off. And if so, thank you for joining us for the last 200 episodes. We're for this move. Well, I'm for it selfishly. Okay. I mean, listen, whatever. Like, you know, PC, the reasoning. Cool. Like, I'm all right with that. I'm for it selfishly because the end product, which is getting a princess in the frog ride. I'm way cooler with. Right. Having, and listen, I like that, you know, I love that's a classic ride that's been there for, you know, 30 years at this point. I get it. But I I think it's a great upgrade. I This is I would have wanted this three years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I and apparently and Disney has been sure to because there have been calls for this, like in petitions and stuff. And right. Disney has been sure to, like, let it be known, like, hey, you didn't do this. Like, yeah, they have to say that in in every like press release and every news um like that I every news clip that I saw, they're sure to say that like this has been in the works already for years. You didn't do this. We didn't cave. We didn't like you know listen to pressure or whatever. Like this was already happening. This train's already moving. Right. Uh, so Disney has announced the Splash Mountain at both Disneyland in California and Magic Kingdom in Florida will soon be reimagined to the animated Disney film The Princess and the Frog. Uh, Disney says that the new concept is inclusive, one that all of our guests can connect with and be inspired by, and it speaks to the diversity of the millions of people who visit our parks each year. According to Disney, we pick up this story after the final kiss and join Princess Tiana and Louie on a magical musical adventure featuring some of the powerful music from the film. As they prepare for their first ever Mardi Gras performance... Uh, Tiana is a modern, courageous, and empowered woman who pursues her dreams and never loses sight of what's really important. It's a great story with a strong lead character set against the backdrop of New Orleans and the Louisiana Bayou. In 1966, Walt himself opened New Orleans Square when it became the first new land added to Disneyland Park. So it feels natural to link the story and the incredible music of the Princess and the Frog to our parks. They are really hammering it home here. Like, they're like, look, Walt liked New Orleans. (laughs) Like, they're really trying to, like... Um, the voice of Princess Tiana, uh, Tony Award winning actress Anika Noni Rose, said it's really exciting to know that Princess Tiana's presence in both Disneyland and Magic Kingdom will finally be fully realized. As passionate as I am about what we created, I know the fans are going to be over the moon. 
The Imagineers are giving us the Princess and the Frog Mardi Gras celebration we've been waiting for, and I'm here for it. The project will be led by Charita Carter, who most recently worked on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Splash Mountain creator Tony Baxter will also serve as a creative advisor for the makeover. The timeline for the closure and reopening has yet to be announced. However, Splash Mountain will reopen in the original form um, when the Magic Kingdom reopens on the 11th. So you can still ride Splash Mountain before it closes down uh, to make way for the new attraction. Okay, so let's dive into this a little bit. I am very excited at the prospect of there being a new attraction in the Magic Kingdom with updated animatronics, good music. I like that it takes place after Princess and the Frog, so she's not a frog for the whole thing. Yep. But, like, there's got to be a Dr. Facilier, like, scene in there, right? Huh. I mean, I would hope so, just because he's such a big part of it, but I don't know. I want it, I want there to be a friend on the other side. Like, like I figure, like, the laughing place, like, wouldn't that be an amazing, like, like scene, like, because it's a darker in there and stuff like that, like, where you normally would see, like, the vultures and stuff like that, and he's singing friends on the other side before you take the plunge? That'd be cool. That'd be really neat. Yes, I'm going to miss Zippity Doodah. And I look, Splash Mountain is one of my favorite rides. I love it. It's, it is probably my second favorite ride in the Magic Kingdom after um, Haunted Mansion. Really? More than Pirates? More than, oh, way more than Pirates. Are you kidding I me? Pirates. pirates is like not even in my top five. And so many of the arguments that I've seen, they're like, well, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin Frontierland because Louisiana is not in the frontier. Okay, well, Song of the South takes place in Georgia. Right. <laughs> which I feel the need to point out, like, which is further away from the frontier than Louisiana. If anything, we're getting closer to the theming by moving things westward. Look, I have no, I have no complaints about this decision. I understand it. I support it. I think it's going to be top notch. Look, at the end of the day... When has Disney ever, like, changed something and we've gone on it and been like, oh. Like, when Camp, yeah. when Camp Mini Mickey turned into Pandora. When Lights, Motors, Action became Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. I look at things like Test Track, right? Like, I love the original Test Track. Yes. Do I like the original Test Track more than it is right now? I probably do. But that doesn't mean what we have now is bad. Right, right. I only have one thing that I I have one I have, there's two things. One thing that I that I really feel like I want slash need, and the other that I feel would be nice to have in some way, shape, or form. Okay. Give them to me. I need the I need the title of the ride to have the word mountain in it. Huh. To keep the mountains of Disney. To keep kind the of? mountains of the Magic Kingdom. You have Splash Mountain, Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain. You don't think it's going to still be Splash Mountain? No, I think it's going to be like, you know, Tiana's Mardi Gras Mountain or something like that. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Never thought about that. I don't think they're going to call it Splash Mountain. But the other thing, I would like Zippity Doodah in there in some way, shape, or form. I get that. Yeah, I almost feel like, you know, can we move Zippity Doodah to like, you know, some other movie so that we feel okay about it? Yeah, right. The song is so good, you know? Well, and the song has become such an iconic part of, of Disney. Like, it, it's one of those songs that's just kind of like, I, I feel like people don't hear Zippity Doodah and think Song of the South. They, they I don't at all. Right. Uh, so, and for the, I had heard, when I was a kid, I heard Zippity Doodah long before I ever went on Splash Mountain. It, it and Walt always said these parks are not a museum; they will they will evolve. Yeah, we're gonna have to just get used to the change. Yeah, 
it's happening and you know i'm excited to see what they do me too i'm on board <laughs> you know what's funny we originally like we were just kind of like oh well you know do we should we do the news for episode 200 or like should we just hold the news to episode 201 and because the mark daniel interview is fairly long and i remember saying to myself if we decide to not do the news, some big, big, big news that we're going to have to discuss is going to drop and we're going to look silly by not talking about it. And there you go. And there it was. There it was. Listen, my non-ride plus and minus are this. The plus is I'm pretty sure you're going to get Mickey Beignets somewhere yeah. right outside that ride. Oh, that would be wonderful. And they are wonderful. Yes. The negative is, man, I've always wanted a Tiana restaurant. And you, but do you really think this means we're never going to get a Tiana restaurant? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Jeez, I hope we do. But that's always what I've wanted. I like that kind of food. Like, I love the fact that, you know, that story's modern. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's, you know, she has a restaurant. Like, I love everything about that. I, so I always wanted that. But I've always thought they should have the Tiana's Place restaurant at the Port Orleans Resort. Yeah. I just think that, you know, I think if you if you gave some, you know, gave a restaurant like real IP, like, you know, not just like, oh, like a character in there, but the restaurant itself based around this. Oh, I agree. I you, have to, you have to put it in the park. You have to you have to really let everyone access. So that. you're seeing it as more of like a BR guest, Tony's Town Square, like directly connected. To I the just IP. feel like it fits in the Magic Kingdom. It does. You know? I no, you know what? I don't think it fits in the Magic Kingdom. I think it fits in New Orleans Square in Disneyland. Yeah, I would love that too. But what if they turned the Blue Bayou into? Uh, nah, never happened. You know those restaurants. There's a couple restaurants right there in, in New Orleans Square, and they they all do gangbusters. So yeah. they don't need like some form of menu change or you know even Theme IP change. makeover. Yeah. Okay. Right, so, all right, we're charging along. Ready for the last bit of news? Yep. We got some. Uh, Animal Kingdom news. No Epcot news this week. Joe Rohde has commented on the Yeti. Oh. The Disco Yeti, who lives up in uh, Expedition Everest. I didn't see this. Tell me. In response to a Twitter post suggesting maintenance access to the figure was a problem. So, for a little background, the Yeti was, you know, built. It was the most powerful animatronic, most complex and powerful animatronic of its time. The mountain was built around the Yeti. And when the Yeti was moving at too powerful a force, which we'll touch on a little bit later as I read this article, um, the Yeti was, you know, turned into the most expensive statue in Disney history and just hit with a strobe light. So somebody said that basically they can't fix the Yeti because of access. So Joe already said it's not an issue of maintenance access. They were part of the design team and set the standard. In fact, it was seen as a model collaborative process. It's an unexpected and unforeseen set of issues. Very complex, with no easy or timely solutions as of yet. <clears throat> in a follow-up response to a poster who said that, in other words, it was messed up, Joe replied with, not messed up. These guys uh, did not ignore something or botch it. Innovation is like physical exploration of unknown spaces. There is stuff out there that you didn't know, and you only encounter it by exploration. But then, there it is. So, uh, Joe Rohde is the Portfolio Creative Executive with Walt Disney Imagineering, and was the creative lead on Expedition Everest and all of Disney's Animal Kingdom. The Yeti, Guardian of the Mountain, is a mammoth-sized audio-animatronics figure with a potential thrust in all of its hydraulic cylinders combined of slightly over 259,000 pounds of force, which is potentially 
more instantaneous power than a 747-400 airliner. The animatronic's motion was switched off less than a year after the ride opened in 2006 due to what is believed to be various unspecified structural issues around the figure. There you go. You think that keeps Joe Rody up at night? Not anymore. No, you think he just doesn't care? You think he's tired of getting asked about it? It's been a long time, dude. He had to. He had to have gotten over. Do you it. think he's as tired of getting asked about it as like you know, Billy Joel gets asked about Piano Man and stuff like that, or Mick Foley gets asked about being thrown off the hell in a cell? No, I think it's different because I think you know the majority of people who meet Joe Rody aren't going to go and be like, "Oh, what about this go yet?" They're just not, dude. You know I, mean? I think you are underestimating people. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I think you're underestimating. I think people will 100% say that to him. Listen, I'll give you a slight example. This, there's a baseball player who played for the Milwaukee Brewers named Ryan Braun. He won MVP. He also tested positive for steroids okay. or you know some form of um, performing enhancing drug. He blamed it on the courier who brought his test to there. The whole thing. It wasn't his fault, right? Okay. Pretty much ruined this guy's life. Of course, at the end of the day, it was his fault. He did test positive. He admitted it. He felt terrible, right? He ended up calling... Milwaukee Brewers season ticket holders because he felt bad. So he was literally going down the list of numbers and calling them to apologize. He's like, I couldn't believe it. They were also like, you know, uh, rooting me on and wishing me well. And I'm like, yeah, oh, wow. I mean, dude, like a celebrity calls your house. You're not going to be like, you're a cheater. You're just not. Well, look, at the you end know what I mean? it's, it's, so here's the thing. It's way different for somebody to meet Joe Rody on the street or have him call their house for some reason and to interact with him on Twitter. No, you might be right about that. I mean, I'm not. That's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about faceless internet. I'm saying if if you or I met Joe right. Rody tomorrow, we wouldn't be like, "What about that expedition Everest?" Huh? Well, look, we got a hundred episodes to convince Joe Rody to be our guest for episode three hundred. So, man, I would love that. Yeah, right. honestly, right now, if there's anyone I could meet, like in the Disney pantheon, it's probably him. I'm just. I think he is the embodiment of, of Disney creativity. Yes, I, love I agree. It. I mean, you know, if you hawk around uh, Tiffin's enough, you'll eventually run into him. I know. You're right. But, you know, a friend of mine who's a cast member um, had once told me, like, like Bob Iger had, like, rolled through their resort that they worked at. And they were like, Bob Iger is here with his entourage. Don't speak to him. Don't make eye contact with him. Like, just, just do your job and, and ignore that he's here. And Joe Rody would pop in, and they'd be like, hey, Joe Rody's here. Go say hi to him. Yeah. Because he's just such a nice guy from, like, whatever. He the, seems awesome. The only Disney employee who gets away with multiple piercings. Love it. Public. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, so I so a source within Walt Disney World, which I cannot reveal, has confirmed um, a little tidbit about what is going on uh, when Jungle Cruise reopens. Okay. So apparently, and I have this on good authority, so I do believe it to be true. <clears throat> apparently, they will be installing clear curtains between the skipper and the um, the passengers. Hmm. For as a safety precaution on all of the boats. And all skippers now have to look like the rock. Yeah, yeah, they put them on a 3,000 calorie diet and, uh, Correct. you know. Just a little tie-in for the upcoming film. Right, 100%. <laughs> all right and that's the news this week okay nice all right so we are going to take a quick commercial break we're going to hear from our sponsors and we'll be back with our interview with the one and only mr mark daniel on episode 200 of two men and the mouse right after this you know pete it's hard work planning a disney vacation of course 
your whole family has to get going. You got to pack everything up. You got to figure out where you're eating. You got to figure out where you're staying. But you know what makes life so much easier? Makes your trip planning a more fun experience. Tell me, it sounds like something I need. Absolutely, you need a travel agent. Do we know one of those? We absolutely do. We know our good friend and sponsor, Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, the official travel agent of Two Men and the Mouse, folks. We've both used him. Yes, we have. Dave Weikert plans our Disney vacations all the time, and we would not recommend him if we didn't use his services ourselves. Dave started his Cranford-based business here in 2008, and in that time has been planning hundreds of Walt Disney World vacations. Dave plans every trip as if it was his own, and you will never find someone more passionate about Disney. Very easy to work with and will do his best to make sure you're satisfied. Working with Dave, you're likely to pay less and get more. And what's better than that, Peter Mandel? Tell me. You never pay a charge for Dave's services. It is 100% free. Dave will plan your entire trip for no additional cost to you. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. Dave has helped over 875 families enjoy their Disney vacations. A graduate of the College of Disney Knowledge, Dave has visited every Disney World resort and has personally stayed at 12 Disney World resorts. He's dined also at every Disney restaurant. He's crazy about Disney food. That is an accomplishment. Absolutely. I wish I could say I did that. That's like, that. A, like the snack challenge times 10. Yep. Dave also gives you Disney dollars for land packages and shipboard credits for any Disney cruise line vacations you might be going. Uh, this can be used as cash at any Disney destination or store. Traveling with kids in your party, Dave will also provide you autograph books for all your kids. He gave them to us? Absolutely. Your kids went down with Dave Weicker autograph books. Of course. Well, Disney autograph books supplied by Dave Weicker. Depends how his name on Dave simplifies your life by booking your complete vacation, including resort stay, airlines, Disney meal plans, and park passes. Also, checks daily for new discounts. When specials are announced, he immediately checks availability and rebooks your vacation at the lowest possible price. Dave can also book all your Disney dining and will do his best to get hard-to-book reservations like Cinderella's Royal Table and Be Our Guest. It's really, truly a no-brainer. Folks, take the stress out of your life. Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, the official travel agent of Two Men in the Mouse. If you and your family are taking a trip to the Orlando area this year, your little ones deserve to stroll in style. Lugging a stroller from home can be an annoying and frustrating part of the first leg of your journey, and renting those hard plastic strollers from Disney theme parks can be both costly and uncomfortable for your kids. Well, I'm here to tell you about the solution to your child transport problems, and that's Kingdom Strollers. Kingdom Strollers is a Disney-featured stroller and crib provider that does exactly what you're looking for at a great price. Not only is it less expensive than renting a stroller from the theme parks themselves, but these are padded luxury models with features like drink holders, canopies, storage baskets, and more. What's more, you keep this stroller with you for your entire trip, whereas park-rented strollers, you got to return them before you leave the park that day. This is going to make those late-night post-fireworks bus stop queues so much easier, and Dad's shoulders are going to thank you for it. So, how does it work? You just go to KingdomStrollers.com and make your selection on the stroller or crib that's right for your child. Just let the good folks over there know a great time for delivery and pickup and where you'll be staying. You can pick your stroller or crib up from the luggage stand at your resort and then drop them back off there at the end of your stay. So pack light, leave your stroller at home, and save up to a whopping 50% versus park price stroller rentals when you visit KingdomStrollers.com. humans my name is morty monster and i'm uh, well i'm a monster i'm here as an exchange student from the monster world where growing up i fell in love with the world of human pop culture 
Unfortunately, not a lot of monsters share that passion, so I came here to experience all of these things that I love and to share that passion with all of you. I do this through my YouTube channel with regular video blogs. One of my favorite things to do is film while in the theme parks of Orlando, Florida. Join me in Walt Disney World, Universal Studios, SeaWorld, and more. I'll also be reviewing comic books, web videos, TV shows, movies, and other awesome stuff. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash MortyMonster. I'm on Instagram as MortyMonster and Friends. I'm also on Twitter as MortyMonsterBFF. From there, you can find a link to my YouTube videos. Please like, subscribe, love, sign up for notifications and more for all the Morty content. I can't wait to share my adventures with all of you. Morty Monster! This is Bill Farmer, and you're listening to Two Men and the Mouse. Folks, there are a number of people who embody our Walt Disney World experience, from iconic voice actors to cast members to unforgettable performers. Our guest today is one such person, a man whom, to many of us, is the face and voice of Walt Disney World. I'm talking, of course, about none other than the one and only Mr. Mark Daniel. For our 200th episode, we knew right away that Mark was the guest that we wanted. From hosting grand openings to Disney live streams, Mark is one of those people who gets to make his career spreading the magic of Disney to other people. You know, on our 100th episode, we interviewed Disney legend Bill Farmer, and now for our 200th episode, we're interviewing someone who I feel is a Disney legend in the making, Mark Daniel. Welcome to Two Men in the Mouse. Right, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Kevin. Hello, Pete. It is great to be here. How are you? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're super thrilled to have you. You know, we're celebrating 200 episodes. We figured it would be a really awesome because I feel that, like, you know, you really are kind of the voice and face of Walt Disney World for so many people because of what you do with the live streams and, you know, what you do with, um, you know, when you host these grand openings and whatnot. It, it's you're kind of this gateway to the magic for so many people. You know, and, and that's why I love the job so much is that, you know, I say I have the unique talent to be the face that brings Disney magic into people's living room. Uh, a lot of times when I am doing the live streams or doing a grand opening, people will tweet photos of uh, their kids all sitting or everybody sitting on the couch, wherever they are in the world watching. And that really, really, really warms my chuckles, if you will. That's <laughs> really awesome. I love that. So, did you grow up in Orlando? Because I know you did get your performing, your start as a performer here in Orlando. I grew up just outside Orlando. So I grew up uh, kind of on the outskirts of Tampa, Florida. Okay. Um, and uh, so my introduction to Walt Disney World was I was, uh, uh, you know, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. So I'm from the West Indies. Okay. Um, so Disney wasn't, uh, I didn't grow up with Disney or Mickey Mouse. I mean, I knew who Mickey Mouse was, but. What really in- inspired me as a kid were the Muppets. Muppets made it to, I would watch Sesame Street and the Muppets. So that's what I really grew up on. So Jim Henson, in a sense, was my Walt Disney. Mm. So when I came to live in Tampa out of high school, that's when I was introduced to Disney. I went there for the first time. And then when I got my job at Disney, I started to learn about Walt Disney. And he created Mickey Mouse. And this ride is based on what he created and they spun off of that with different attractions and everything. That's when he became like 
uh, a Jim Henson to me, another very creative person that uh, made characters that I grew to love. That's Little right. Do you know our own Kevin Kessler is probably the biggest Muppet guy that any of us know. I, you know what? Hey, I, I was a little. I, you know, I'm I'm hoping that I get to talk one day to uh, Morty Monster. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, Again. you know, he, he met a guy that looked a lot like you in Galaxy's Edge one time, but uh, I met that guy and he told me he met Morty. And Morty kept saying that. Yeah, we, we can talk about that later on. And yeah, it's funny, like, you know, you're talking about Jim Henson being so much like Walt, and I'm just kind of nodding along because, like, I'm literally looking right now at my screen accurate Kermit the Frog puppet that I have sitting on my puppet workbench right now. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. uh, it was this, it was always the same for me. The Muppets were, were, were first, and then Disney kind of like spun off from that. So you said you came here in high school. Did you get a job? Did you, like, was your first job with Disney performing or were you just a regular cast member at first? Yeah. Well, you know what? I was a regular cast member performing. How's that? Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, you know, in a sense that Walt Disney world, we're all part of the cast and we're literally all performing, mm. but I will say my first job was the electric light parade. Oh, oh interesting. Yes. What were you doing in the electric know- light parade? I was what was called a canopy carrier. So uh, there's different segments of the parade. And uh, there is one segment where there's a lit canopy and these dancers behind the Cinderella unit are dancing underneath the canopy. Okay. And uh, so I carried that canopy that was lit as dancers that were lit were dancing underneath. And I did that parade first. And then that parade went away to Disneyland. And I opened a brand new parade, which was then called the Spectrum Magic Parade. Oh, that's my favorite nighttime parade. I love Spectrum Magic. Like, and, and, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, just the song is gonna always be stuck in my head, like for the rest of my life. With on oh, yeah. this magic <laughs> night. So, what'd you do in Spectrum Magic? So, Spectrum Magic, um, Spectrum Magic. I went into doing uh, other uh, performers in that. Um, and the unique thing about that was that parade was for its time was state of the art. Uh, to preserve the magic, I can't really tell you exactly everything I did. Mm-hmm. But uh, the unique thing about that parade was you would actually the parade would change color. Yes. And uh, so if you were if you were performing and connected to a float, your costume would change with the float. But if you were not connected to the float and you were walking, you had to pay attention because you had to switch. Oh. So when you went from so you walk and then you would switch, but sometimes. You might be taking a picture with somebody or interacting with a uh, small child and you miss it. And then like everything is a color and you're just white. And you're like, oh, <laughs> that flip. That's really interesting. So was it like a music cue that you'd have to like know to change it or was it like certain? Yes. Yeah, yeah. There was a swelling in the music and you know the song very well. So that there was a swell in the music. And as it, sw- as it was swelling, that's when you would look to see when your unit changed. Wow. As your unit changed, you would click along with it. So, now, and then, so it was a wave of changing lights. Yeah. Oh gosh, I miss Spectrum Magic so much. I was, I was always kind of hoping against hope that they'd bring it back one day. But then I heard that, like, like where they stored the the units for it, like something happened where, like the something happened where, like basically, like the units are unusable now, and they had to destroy them or something like that. Um, but I mean, I feel like that's one thing that Magic Kingdom is missing right now is a really great nighttime light up parade because i used to i used to love even main street electrical parade with um but you know i I mean i didn't love it so much when i was trying to get out of the park and i got like stuck on that like that that corner uh right by sleepy hollow treats when there's a parade going on and you're stuck there you're like well i'm here for the parade yeah you're watching the parade now (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so now 
did like being on stage and performing was that like an early uh goal of yours was that something that you you liked as a kid was that something that came as you grew older just in general not even just about disney you know it came as i grew older um I was into, you know, uh, Pete and I were talking about my love, my first love, which is Predator, mm-hmm. which is my second love, really. Muppets is my first. Right. But Pete and I were talking about Predator, you know, and um, and he has my dream job working in a, you know, in a comic book store. If you ever want to trade jobs, I'm okay with it. <laughs> we could switch <laughs> just for two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Well, I'll do it now. I'll do it now. <laughs> um, so I was really into uh, creature effects. Uh, Predator being one of my favorite creature effects. Uh, originally, Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite monster. Nice. Um, okay. So I always wanted to be in makeup behind the scenes. Then from there, when I saw that Kevin Peter Hall was a black man like me, was in the Predator outfit, and he was also Harry and the Hendersons, I wanted to be a creature performer. So uh, so my first, my first instinct was I actually tried to get a job at Universal because they had Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. Yep. And I was like, I'm going to follow in Kevin Peter Paul's footsteps. Uh-huh. I'm going to go be Harry and Hendersons at, uh, at Universal. And uh, it didn't work out. And I ended up going, you know, working at Disney. Uh, but so my first love really was editing creature effects and working behind the scenes. And slowly um, I started um, finding out that, you know, I have a sense of humor and I can perform with it. A friend of mine put me onto what's called um uh, Sat Comedy Lab, which is a big improv comedy uh, theater here in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, was, he kept telling me, Mark, you're really funny. And he put me on to um, improv comedy. And from then, I started seeing that I liked this and wanted to become a stand-up comedian and wanted to perform and wanted to get out on stage and be in front of the camera instead of behind the camera. So, you know, and that, that was kind of going into my, my next question was about your, your improv and stand-up career. Like, so when you, how old were you when you started doing improv and stand-up? I was probably about 20, uh, I was in my 20s. I would say about 25, 26 is when I started doing improv comedy through SAC as mm-hmm. a, what they call a lab rat. So it was kind of like training before you got into the uh, um, ensemble of SAC. Um, and after doing that, then I started having a dream that I wanted to do stand-up. And um, that came a little bit later when I was in my 30s, I started doing stand-up. But everything I learned from performing at Walt Disney World and SAC Theater helped me hone my skills as a stand-up comedian. Um, so I used that to propel me in, into my career to, to help with my stage presence and my content as a comedian. Now, even as, as someone who had, had a, a lot of improv experience at that point being on stage, you, the first time you ever got up at like an open mic and did, and did stand-up, was, was it like, it must have been like a completely different experience. And like, was, was it nerve-wracking to like get up there and just do stand-up? You know... Uh, for me personally, because uh, I will say that my career at Disney being in, in front of, you know, easily 10,000 people a day mm-hmm. um, helped a lot. So I naturally had stage presence, which is important. Yes. Now, I, with stage presence, I tell people when I'm, when I'm training people sometimes to, to do improv, stage presence gets you onto stage and commands attention. After those two minutes... It's your content that will keep them engaged. Mm. So I had that going for me with stage prints. I hit the stage, you're going to listen. Now it's on me to keep your attention. So the nervy, the nervous part for me was before I went on stage. Once I got on stage, I was comfortable. 
Um, so it was nerve wracking, but during the during my performance, when I was doing open mic, I wasn't nervous during the performance. It was the build up to it. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Do you get a lot of people at your shows who are like, "Hey, you're a guy from Disney." Um, well, mostly when I well when I was doing stand up, um, I wasn't at the level I am now, if you okay. will, as inside Disney parks. So uh, no, it was it was more like uh, I, I was in my people knew me more from either improv comedy or they didn't know me at all. And now the my, so my first introduction to you was actually not Disney. The first time I ever saw you was New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. So when did the door start? Because I know you do, you know, you also did Star Wars Celebration here in Orlando. So when was when did that door kind of open? That door opened. Uh, I don't know if you remember. There was a show called The American Idol Experience at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Yep. Yes. Uh, and that show was this, probably the um, the closest show at Disney's Hollywood Studios with the theme of putting you into how TV and movies made because American Idol was done exactly in a theme park setting like the show was done on television. Mm-hmm. The difference was we did in a in one day what they did in a week. Uh, so it was as close as you could get. So in general, me saying how close it was, American Idol had a live studio audience. And in, 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 the, tele, in the television industry, as you know, anytime you have a live studio audience, they have a warm-up host. Yes. So that was the first time uh, they needed a warm-up host for a daily show. And that's when I, that's, that's the job I had. My job was to warm up the crowd, tell them what's going on as a live studio audience, because they were literally a live TV audience um, for the first time daily at a theme park. So I had the benefit of doing something like that. Usually TV shows you might do, you do seasons, you know, so you do a warm-up host would do American Idol, uh, the Bachelor and Trading Spouses. I'm making up shows, right. <laughs> right? You know, but they're doing all that in one day, and they do that for a season. Then they're done working, and uh, so I got to do that every day. So I was able to be a warm-up host and hone my skills as a warm-up host. And from there, the the director of the American Idol Experience got the chance to direct. He used to direct Star Wars Weekends. I know you guys remember Star Wars Weekends. Love Star, Star Wars Weekends. He would direct the main show at Star Wars Weekend. So you remember whoever the celebrity was that evening, they would have a main show, like yep. a, like a, you know, so they'd have a host, which usually would be James Arnold Taylor or somebody. Mm-hmm. And they would interview the star at the end of the, the uh, day. So he would direct that. So then he got the chance to direct Star Wars Celebration, which was the big convention. And then he brought me in as the warm up host for that. And that's when I got my foot into door, in the door to do warm up for Star Wars Celebration. And from there, the person I worked with, which was Elliot, got the job at New York Comic Con, and we came as a team to show him what we do for Celebration, we could do for New York Comic Con. That was DJ Elliot? DJ Elliot, yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember, because I, I remember a couple of the panels that I went to, you were there for all of the, the main stage panels of Kevin Smith and stuff like that. Do you, like, typically, like, get to, like, meet the people that are on the panel before that? Like, you know, do they do they give you any, like, insight into how they want you to warm the crowd up, or do you just go out there and do your thing? That's a great question. Yes. So a lot of times at New York Comic-Con, unlike Star Wars Celebration, I work with the host. So I work with, uh, first was uh, um, um, Jay Lagaya, who was in the prequels, mm-hmm. an actor uh, in the prequels. He did the first Star Wars Celebrations that I was a part of. 
when it started, when it came to Orlando, then James Arnold Taylor, and finally Warwick Davis, who I work with now. I work with him one-on-one. I, so I work with them on the main stage. Oh, great. Unlike New York Comic Con, there's so many, at the main stage, it's an eclectic mix of things. There's not a straight host. So it could be one panel is Walking Dead. The next panel could be The Watchmen from HBO. Mm-hmm. And they tend to bring their own moderators. So I'm disconnected from what the panel is. You know, so my job is literally warm them up and I don't know what they have for Watchmen because a lot of times it's proprietary. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're going to show you maybe a full episode of season two or we're going to surprise you with one of the characters going to come on stage. So they don't, I only know that from maybe being in the room from rehearsal. So I get to meet them at that point. uh, And most times they have their own moderator that will be moderating. So yes, I do get to meet them, but I'm not part of their team. Okay, All right. that makes a lot of sense. Have you ever done like a panel for something where it's like you're doing a Walking Dead panel and you've never seen an episode of The Walking Dead or something like that? Oh, that has happened so many times in New York Comic Con. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I did a panel for, um, I had no idea what it was. I did a panel for um, Game of Thrones. Huge, okay. huge panel, huge. And I just watched one episode <laughs> and the um, Hodor... I'm sure I know you guys are fans of Game of yeah, Thrones. Yeah, so you're Hodor. Hodor was there, and I didn't know. Um, he's a DJ. Yeah. Is he really? Yes, yeah. he is. He's a he's a he's a performer. He's a DJ, oh, and he's like I didn't really know Game of Thrones just yet, but I knew Hodor, and you know it's funny because he's just talking and just chilling, and I was like, <laughs> he doesn't talk. <laughs> you know, so Game of Thrones was a big panel. And I didn't know anything about Game of Thrones. And I remember Elliot was like, Mark, watch him. And I just didn't have time to watch the seasons they were up to at yeah. the time. So and you're like, oh, Sean Bean, you must have had a wonderful long career <laughs> on this yeah. show. Like, what are you feeling going into season five? <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there were, there were a lot. There's a lot of um, panels that I don't know about. So what I do, what I've learned when I started doing it, I would come out and I changed my performance set at New York Comic Con. And I say, I'm the show before the show. So I come to entertain you. Right. We're going to have some fun. If I'm a fan of the show, we can talk about it. Right. If I'm not a fan of the show, there's a couple of things I could figure out and say, oh, you're here for Watchmen. I know it's on HBO and I know so-and-so's in it and I know they're in season two. Who's excited about learning more about season three? They go crazy and I go into my show. Awesome. Yeah, you know, it's funny at Star Wars Celebration, you were, you, you, you were right there next to me for one of the most deflating moments of my life when, when you picked me to ask Ian McDermott a question. And I had this amazing question in my head of like, like, do you think Palpatine actually cared about Anakin? Was there any genuine affection there? Like why he would save him? But I, I was like, I have a nerdy question and I have a good question and I have to ask the nerdy question. And I was like, if I told you that the Senate would decide your fate, what would you say? And he went, I would say, and then he switched to the Palpatine voice and he went, next question. And I was like, <laughs> no, why didn't I ask another question? But, but I'm sure, I'm sure that question went over well. Cause if he goes into Palpatine, you know, people are going to go oh, crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was just, it was like my hero. And I'm like, Oh God, I made a fool of myself. <laughs> So you got the gig uh, doing the American Idol warm up. How 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 did your role with Disney evolve over time? Like where did like what did that come after? Did you have to audition for that? Were they like, hey Mark, we think you'd be good for this, or like like how did how did you, how was how did you go from holding the canopy to you know emceeing 
you know, grand openings and, you know, uh, the Disney Parks blog? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the process for that was, um, I, um, just to jump back a bit, before I got the woman post for um, the American Idol Experience, I was actually the woman post for a real Nickelodeon TV show at the time. I was still working at Disney, but I was, um, uh, usually as actors, when you get a gig at Disney, I was a, I, and I was a what you call an equity actor at the time. Mm-hmm. And people say, what is that? So I'll give you an example. Um, you've, been at, you've been to the studio. So a good example is when you go to the studios and you see what's called the streetmosphere performers. Yes. And they're, those, they're playing the roles of that time. Those are streetmosphere actors. So those are equity performers. And then, so that spins out into um, shows where you have actors. We're considered act equity performers. So mm-hmm. I was already doing that. But as, as we are actors in Orlando, you take time off or vacation time so you can work something else. If you got a commercial, if you got a play, different things like that. Mm-hmm. So I was doing the warm-up post for a Nickelodeon show called My Family's Got Guts, which was a show called Guts yes. back in the 90s. I mean, so I watched remember, Guts. I never heard. I never saw My Family's Got Guts, but. Yeah. So, so they brought it back and they called it My Family's Got Guts. So instead of it just being kids competing, it was families competing. Pete, do you remember and, that? Because I have no memory. I no, have no memory me of that either. one. I would have loved that. I would have watched the heck out of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. That was probably so, on the Games um, and Sports Network before I had the Games and Sports Network. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was done for Nickelodeon. Uh, I think it was on Nickelodeon, actually. And um, so. I was filming that at Universal. At Nickelodeon Studios? Nickelodeon, yeah. So not Nickelodeon Studios, but it was for Nickelodeon. Uh, and Universal still has, still to this day, has usable sound stages. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so I know like TNA Wrestling used to used to yes. uh, film there. I have a couple friends that work for TNA Wrestling. but the uh, Literally, and, we would film next to each other. Oh, awesome. So yeah. We so you'd be like, oh, hi, Hulk Hogan. Like... Yes, yeah. Oh, so my parents loved wrestling, so they came to see me at Guts one day, and all the wrestlers are walking by, and my mom and dad are going crazy, because they <laughs> love TNA, WWF, WWE, all that stuff. But anyway, so you're you're working at Nickelodeon at the time, and then how does that transition into, into more opportunity? Yeah, so I jump into, uh, um, <laughs> so if you know my family's got Guts, just a little side story, because I know you guys are fans of Guts. Uh-huh. There's one day, when you get all the way to the aggro crack. Yes. Right? Okay, so they had a sound studio. Our sound stage had a giant aggro crack. Mm-hmm. So families have to do it. So there was no audience for the aggro crack because it was like a lot of camera angles and a lot of filming. For the games, they had a studio audience. For aggro crack, they didn't. That's interesting. I never knew that. Huh. Do they just yeah. dub the, the crowd sound in because there used to be crowd now, sound? I can't, I can't say for my, I can't say for guts, right? Mm-hmm. But I can say for my family's got guts. Okay. That there was no audience. There was a small audience. It was, Family members uh, for, were the only people that were in there, as far as audience goes, for the aggro crack. Okay. Right? So um, so they wanted me in there, and I'd be in there, but I wouldn't warm up because the family has been there all week, you know, or, you know, watching their go. So there's nothing for me to do. So there was the, the audition for um, American, um, American Idol. So I was like, look, the audition, I want to go, and I, and I don't do anything for aggro crack. They're like, no, we want you here just in case something happens. Okay. So I had to make a decision that day. I said, I'm not going to show up. Oh, wow. If they, because I had like two more, two more episodes to film. And I said, if they fire me from this, my career is at Disney. And I want to do warm up for American Idol. It's the biggest show right now Mm -hmm. at at the studios. So I took a risk and I said, I just want to show up. 
So anyway, long story short, I went, I auditioned, I had a great audition, I went back, and they never missed me. <laughs> they didn't. I went back to, to, to Nickelodeon. They didn't like, even know you weren't there? <laughs> they didn't even know I was gone, yeah. I just said, I'm just not going to show up, because I, I knew they weren't going to use me, because there's no crowd, and I just kind of walked in. They're like, oh, there you are. Still nothing to do. And I was like, oh, okay, because I've been over here for the longest. <laughs> so, um, like a kid cutting school. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, it was so, Mark, Mark Daniel's day off. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. Mark Daniel, Mark Daniel. Um, so, but to, cause I've gone off on a tangent here, I'll make it very quick and simple. The American Idol experience warm up allowed me to be very creative, making up things to entertain the crowd, doing a lot of pop culture jokes. And that put me in, in a, in, um, in a high profile scene. And, um, the director was directing it, allowed me to be free and creative and appreciate my creativity which allow other people to see me. And that was my platform. So people could see me come up with my own ideas. Um, Cause usually when you're in a show and you're a character, you are directed to do certain things or you have a script with an American idol. Usually warmups are stand-up comedians anyway, and they just do their stand-up. Right. The difference is I couldn't do stand-up, but I was able to use my improv to entertain people in different ways. And that led to it opening doors where Disney started trusting that I could improv by myself with the Disney brand in mind. So they trusted me to when other events would come up, they'd have people from outside of Disney that didn't have the Disney brand, but they would team me up with them. They'd be like, okay, this is a YouTube celebrity. We don't know what they're going to say, but we trust that Mark can keep them on brand in a fun way and not be why I'm, I'm straightforward and you can't say that where I can play with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what it allowed me to do. And a lot of people were able to see that that were directors and they wanted to work with me. And that's where my career took off uh, was from the, the genesis of watching me create at American Idol. That's awesome. That's really, so do you remember what your first like, um, like big Disney event outside of American Idol was that you hosted? Um, my big event was, um, outside. so Disney, big Disney event, um, was, um, this was directed by, um, Nick Kessler, and it was no relation to me, (laughs) right? (laughs) Could be a long lost brother, right? Um, he it could be a wrestling story, by the way. (laughs) Um, so Disney bought what was called Maker at the time, a long time ago. So Maker was a production company that at the time was doing a lot of YouTube videos, okay? Um, so they basically Disney owned YouTube, a lot of people didn't know this, so. They basically, all the big YouTube uh, um, celebrities were under a company called Maker, and Bob Iger bought that company. And he brought, because he bought the company and Disney bought it, he brought all these giant YouTube celebrities to Disney. And the point was, bring them to Disney, have them make their content, much like you see if you have a favorite YouTube uh, creator, they might use Windex or something, and they might be drinking like this. And they might be a, a furry blue happened. monster. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what would happen is they would, all these YouTube celebrities would come and do their content at Disney, which would be marketing to Disney. So they brought everybody. So it was a big event, and I hosted it with Sam Macaroni, who was a stuntman, and he became a big YouTube celebrity. And he's great. He spoofs movies, but he gets the actors. He's so big that he can spoof Back to the Future and have Michael J. Fox. Oh, nice. Um, so that's what he would do. So he, I, ho- I co-hosted with him with all these big celebrities. Uh, for a week of of entertaining them, doing um, doing um, uh, 
panels and different things like that. So that was a pretty big event for me where Disney trusted that, Mark, you're our Disney representative, but you're going to keep it on Disney brand, but do it in your own style. And it was the first time that Disney was hiring me to be myself instead of hiring me to be a character that was created by a director. Mm -hmm. that, that's amazing. And so, so like when you... Uh, I think one of the things that a lot of people know you for the most is when you host the, uh, like when they would do like, oh, tonight is a live stream of Wishes or Happily Ever After or Illuminations. What are those like to do? Is there a lot of prep work that has to go into them? Uh, you know, what what is it like to kind of bring these nighttime spectaculars directly to people via these live streams? Uh, it's a lot of work. Um, I'm, uh, and it's a lot of work. I get involved in the last hour pre before it starts. Mm. But before that, you know, we have a, a department called, um, we have the Disney production department. They have cameras and everything. So they gather everything. The director, Bob <coughs> Hitchcock comes up with it. They tell him, okay, we're going to live stream fireworks. Or we're going to live stream wishes. So he goes and they set the cameras and everything. So he kind of builds it with Brian, who's the assistant director and his head of the shots and everything. If we do a show, they'll go talk to the stage manager and say, use this angle. So they'll talk angles. So they come up with the storyboard for it. Bob will then write the script. And we also work with Disney marketing because if we're showing you a live stream, we're also going to market. So it's going to be, don't forget food and wine festival. Don't forget this, this happening. So all that's created before it gets to me. And um, the process is I get there probably an hour early and we run it. So we'll run, you know, a lot of with the live streams, what we try to do that's unique is we'll interview like show directors. We'll interview head chefs. We try to bring you something a little extra, you know, so you can see behind the scenes because we want to show you a little bit of behind the scenes um, and uh, and in the camera angles and everything. So we're kind of they're kind of um, editing in real time. Uh, so that's what's happening behind the scenes. And that's why I like to show a lot of what's happening when I do the live streams, uh, mm -hmm. because there's so many people working and bringing it to you live is fascinating. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, audio we're dealing with um, another thing another big element of us bringing you live streams is uh, daily parks operations and these are the people that try to help us do what we do but we don't affect what Disney calls daily operations right. because people are paid to come in we don't want to take away a view or a spot from paying guests that came to experience Disney magic so we'll have like a little team of people cast members helping keep an area clear or keep it moving. Like we'll be shooting and I can be like, okay, we, we have a shot here. Like, especially inside Disney parks, that's pre-recorded. I'll be talking in front of Pirates of the Caribbean for a good shot, but we only have 10 minutes to do it before I have to move out of the way and they can load people. Mm -hmm. People take their pictures and I go back in again. Right. So they're constantly aware of not taking away from the experience the guests are having. So there's a lot of elements to it. That's a, that's a really good point. You know, the, um, do you have of all the events that you've done openings and whatnot? I remember you. I remember you doing the opening for Disney Springs, and you do all like movie big movie premieres, like Avengers Endgame and whatnot. Which, boy, Disney Springs looked so cool for Avengers Endgame, didn't it? It was. It was amazing. Yeah, <clears throat> that was such a cool night. I, I I was there, um, and I saw you interviewing people. But is there like an event that um that sticks out as kind of like a personal favorite for you? Yes, one hundred percent. And it, that would be up. Before this, it was always the Star Wars events. And when we did Galactic Nights, if you remember Galactic Nights. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So before it used to be Galactic Nights. But the one that I will never forget will be the premiere of Toy Story 4 at Disney's really? Hollywood Studios. Yes. Because it was 
a huge event and it was the first time Hollywood came to Disney's Hollywood Studios because we had Toy Story Land. Mm -hmm. And so huge event, um, uh, advertising Toy Story 2. And my favorite was we had, we were going to, we had a meetup to show Toy Story 2 and the audience did not know that the entire cast was there. And that entire cast includes three very famous people, uh, Tim Allen, Tom Hanks, and of course, the big surprise, Keanu Reeves. Wow. And at the end of the meetup, when they watched the film, the whole cast came out and I got to interview everybody. And I got to meet Tom Hanks, who I never thought I'd meet in a million years. Uh I got to meet Keanu Reeves, who I never thought I'd meet in two million years. (laughs) And the rest of the cast, all very talented uh, actors, but you know, those were the, that's the standout for me. And then I also got to interview the director and it was the um, kind of like when you interview the director. So they had full media inside the animation building and they had the stars in there and they're doing the full on Hollywood interviews and that had never been done at Disney's Hollywood studios before. So literally Hollywood came to Florida. That's so cool. That's great. So much was going on that day. It was, it was amazing. Now you were also involved in the opening of galaxy's edge, right? Yes, yes. What was that experience like to, you know, obviously, you know, Star Wars, such a big thing, um, <clears throat> you know, clearly big thing for you, too, because you're pretty knowledgeable on it. Um, the people have waited their entire like Pete said, Pete said to me when this over, he's like, I've waited my whole life for a Star Wars theme park. So mm-hmm. you're now getting to kind of guide people into this new world for the first time. What, what was that experience like for you when you got to open up Galaxy's Edge? Um, it was a once in a lifetime experience. Um, it was unbelievable. Like watching it, I think, but watching it, I watched it from, you know, I work, I, you know, I, so Galaxy's Edge, most of Galaxy's Edge is made up of what we call, and a lot of your fans listening, if they are Disney Hollywood Studios fans, they will remember Residential Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they had the houses from TV shows. Yes. And they will also remember Lights, Motors, Action, Stunt Show. Um, I work, I used to do that show. I used to be played the director of Lights, Motors, Action. I oh, nice. A, I, yeah, I used to sub that. So I did that, you know, every, every so often. So I watched, I was, I did the, I did the day before, the week that show closed, they were bringing people back. So I did it the day before it closed. I got to do my last show. Um, and I got to watch them. Daily, because I also did Indiana Jones, and I I would go to work. I watched them clip that stage apart, dig it up, take it out, take out Residential Street. I watched them pour concrete. I watched them build the spires. I watched it come from. I watched it being born from Lights Motors Action. And by the time the opening was around, I was so excited for people to see what I've been seeing. I was. I just was. Just I wanted to see people's faces, and I think that's where it was. I got to do the live stream, but most importantly, that's mostly media. And a lot of the media were there already that I didn't get to see them. So the next day when it really opened, that's what I was waiting yeah. for. I wanted to see people who don't know anything, you know, because the media, they get tours and different things like that. And a lot of time the media, they're having a good time, but they're working, you know, mm-hmm. they're busy writing and talking about their experience. So you don't get to see them experience it. So even during the opening, I was more excited about the next day getting to see um, people like Pete and people like you 
walk in if you weren't part of the media, uh, Kevin. No, I walking in, seeing it for the first time. Yeah, the, the the first time that I saw it was the day that uh, Morty Monster and I came in, and uh, we met Kim Bay, who was working mm. over at Savi's workshop. Who? Uh, oh, that was your first time. Yeah, okay. you know, quite the resemblance uh, over there. So, <laughs> what, a handsome guy. I heard. Anything you could tell me about Kim Bay and like what his kind of job was over there, and and how he enjoyed that? Yeah, yeah. Um, let me see. Let me try to put it in a nutshell because it's it's fascinating. So, Kim Bay is a canon. Is is a, a, a um a character in canon of the Star Wars universe. Oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's an honor. So Kembe means master. So you will see many Kembe's. Kembe's are masters that work for Savi and Sons. So we work with scrap metal when ships come in, but the underlying thing that Savi is uh, sensitive to, and he is also in canon, he has met Luke Skywalker, um, he is sensitive and uh, friendly to what we are. And Kembe is the leader or the master of a unit called the Gatherers. So what the Gatherers do is we are actually searching for force-sensitive materials, including lightsabers and kyber crystals and Sith artifacts and Jedi artifacts. So as we sift through the junk, if we find things, we keep it. Um, and we are secretly building lightsabers. Mm. So we travel the galaxy in a ship and we go to like, uh, you know, battle damaged planets. We search for crashed Jedi ships and Sith temples and we sift through, uh, battlefields like after order, um, probably after order 99, we were walking down the battlefield, like, like taking lightsabers off of dead Jedi. Yeah. Right. And collecting kyber crystals. And that's why in our storyline, the kyber crystals already have color because they belong to Jedi and Sith before oh, we got. Oh, right. Cause I, I, I remember now, like it's, it's been kind of a recent addition to the canon. I think that, you know, the kyber crystals in general don't have color when the Jedi first mm-hmm. find them and that the yeah. Jedi kind of pours their will into it. And that's what yeah. gives you the color. Uh, yes. I don't know what about Samuel L. Jackson screamed purple to the kyber crystal. <laughs> But, you know, it, uh, yeah. so <laughs> um, I can tell you the story about that if you want to know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, if we jump out into the acting mode, mm. Samuel Jackson wanted a purple lightsaber. He said, I want purple. So George Lucas said, I don't know. I don't know. You know, uh, he was like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I will see because it doesn't matter. It, we'll see. So he didn't know until he saw the film. Oh, wow. And as, a, as a surprise. When he activated his lightsaber, because you know, of course, you know, you in the movies, yeah. you don't know. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait activated- <laughs> Those aren't real lightsabers. <laughs> they are. They are. I'm sorry, Pete. Yes, they are. <laughs> um, so when it activated, he saw his color. So now, in canon, uh, the purple lightsaber belongs to a Jedi that can harness the dark side of the Force. So it's a mixture of red and blue. So blues are the warriors of the force. So a, a Jedi with a blue lightsaber, generally in our lore as Kembe's, as we study some of the, uh, some of what we've gathered is blue are the warriors of the force. They protect the force. They go out to protect the force. Whereas green, they study the force. That's why Yoda has green. He studies the force. He understands it a lot more, but the warriors go out and fight the dark side straight up okay. uh, or protect, you know, they're guardians of peace and justice. Those are going to be the ones with the blue. 
right? So he has both of them mixed together so he can harness the dark side, but he uses that dark side energy for the light. Right, the Form 7 of Lightsaber Combat that he created, Vapad, which is mm-hmm. where he channels his inner darkness and, and reflects it back. Which that's what I remember from the Legends uh, books that nice I had read. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So was Star Wars a big thing for you as a kid? Um, not necessarily as a kid. Um, I did have uh, the Play-Doh kit with Yoda and um, R2D2. Nice. I had no idea who they were. <laughs> but um, it wasn't until I came to America, and until I got my job at Disney, when um, I started seeing how people reacted to Star Wars and my favorite character who is Chewbacca. Remember I like I like costumes. Right. So Chewbacca was a full on costume and I enjoyed it. So I got to be a part of Star Wars to preserve the magic. I won't say any more than that. Yes. Because of that, I got to be a part of the first ever Star Wars weekends. And uh I was involved in the first and I got to meet and so when I, I got to meet the stars. Now you gotta remember first Star Wars weekends 93, I'm not sure. I don't remember the date, but, um, in the nineties, uh, the stars were, I won't say they were has-beens, but they weren't working. That's the best way to put it, right? Right. I think, I'm not even sure if Mark Hamill was doing voiceovers just yet because Mark Hamill is before he came back for the new, what we call the, uh, next gen Star Wars, he had a bigger career as a voiceover. It's the greatest Joker of all time. Right. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Carrie Fisher had a bigger career doing her own show. Right. You know, Harrison Ford was one of the few people that basically became a movie star. Right. You know, as we know it. Um, so we got to talk and just hang with, you know, Mark Hamill, uh, uh, Billy D. Williams, Peter Mayhew, Jeremy Bullock. Is, you know, even up. Uh, is Billy um, D. Williams as smooth in real life as he appears on screen? Smoother. Ah, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, and um, and and Ray Park, who's like one of the friendliest guys ever. Yeah. I mean, if you ever had a chance to meet him, I'm sure you you might. I've seen um like panels and stuff that he's done, and I'm like, wow, that guy is way too nice for all the ways that he probably knows how to take you apart. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. You know. Um. So yeah. So I got to be involved. So from there, um, my love of Star Wars started to grow, being part of the first um. Uh, Star Wars weekends. And what was unique is, uh, I, I just want to talk about a journey I had. Go for it. Without revealing the magic, I got to know more about the characters when, during the first Star Wars weekends that a lot of people, if you, you had to be a really, really deep fan to understand. Mm-hmm. And I got to know, and what was unique to me was seeing it when they released the prequels. For instance, like, uh, they were telling us, and we had to sign things we couldn't talk about. Like they were explaining to us that Darth Vader has no legs and one arm. Right. And I was like, now you got to imagine, all I've seen is Star Wars, the three, you know, I'm like, what? I see his hands. They're like, no, he, he doesn't have, he's, he's, he's got no legs and he's got one hand. You're like, okay, what happened? Well, he got burnt. Like, okay, what do you mean? So all we knew was like, from canon, what they shared with us, he got burnt in a volcano. So we're like, you're getting all this information direct from George almost that like, just wasn't. Yeah. 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 So they're just kind of giving it to us. So we're like, okay, so Darth Vader got burnt in a volcano. And now imagine you've seen star Wars. You're like, I've never seen a volcano in star Wars. Right. You know, 
But then when you watch it, now imagine, all I know is he's got no arms, no legs. Mm-hmm. He was burnt in a volcano. And when he I was like, well, why didn't he die? Well, he, he meditated and he didn't die. I'm like, okay, cool. Believe it. Now I'm watching prequels and you see it and you see they're on Mustafar. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, lava. Okay. You see the fight. Like, okay. And then you're like, okay, where's his hands come up? And then you see, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, shrink, shrink, shrink. And you're like, whoa. Yep. So what what an experience. Uh, luckily, I got to experience knowing a little bit of something that was told to me from Lucas Story Group back in the 90s. It, it's so cool with Star Wars where it's like, you know, because George has built so much lore into it that when you know these things, you can watch the movies and appreciate them. Like Obi-Wan Kenobi's Form 3 lightsaber combat. Anakin is Form 5. Form 3 is fall back and block you know, weave a protective, you know, defensive flurry around yourself. Four, five, form five is all just overhead slashes and pure strength. So when they're having that duel on Mustafar, you see it. Obi-Wan's fallen back and he's he's just blocking and evading. And, the, you know, the point of form three is block and evade until your opponent makes a mistake. And that's exactly how, you know, and, and this was stuff that was established years before episode three came out. And then all of a sudden... You see, you see it work to perfection in that duel on Mustafar, and yeah. when you know that stuff, it's just like, oh wow! Like you can kind of read it in, you can kind of read into it a little bit more. And I think that's one of the genius things about Star Wars. And see, and you know, Kevin, I didn't know that, so I'm gonna go back and watch it again because, like, that's I didn't know that whole the styles of of, of, of combat. There's so. yeah, there are seven forms of lightsaber combat. All of them have their own. Like, I took a public speaking class in college. And one of my speeches was on the seven forms of lightsaber combat and the various like like opening stances. Um, that, I think a lot I of think I, will, kung fu. I think that would be uh, something that I want to because as a Kimbe, they gave us a, a lot of canon information, mm-hmm. but as fans, you could take it further. Yeah. So I think from what you said, I think I would like to learn more about that. Oh so yeah, absolutely. Tell Kimbe because um, one of the things like when you're building a lightsaber. And at um, Sabi's workshop, you can choose three different styles. Right? Mm-hmm. Power and control. A lot of people, if you're Sith, you're going to want power and control. And as parts, like you can see parts from Darth Vader's lightsaber, different lightsabers, and you can put it together. But uh, it's well known that Darth Vader had a lower hand grip because the lightsaber you can hold with both hands. Yeah. But it's known that he has a lower hand grip. So sometimes Kimbe might say a kid is putting the the rubber grip, you can choose to put it, well, you know, up high or down low. So if somebody has it down low and you say to them, oh, I see you have a lower grip, much like Darth Vader. You know, mm-hmm. you go, what? You know what I mean? So I can imagine sometimes when you have, and um, sometimes you have to talk a little more because things are going wrong. So you have to stall a little bit. Sometimes you could talk about how would you hold your lightsaber. Yeah, so well, each of, each of the forms of lightsaber combat has its own stance. Like, Count Dooku, when he does the thing where he, like, holds it up and then sets it to the side, that's the Makashi salute, which is form two. It's more of, like, a fencing style. Whereas Vader has that low grip because he has to adapt his form five to be able to protect his center because the torso light bright in the middle of his costume is kind of a target. <laughs> And yeah. so he's got to, he's got to, keep... so like, right. <laughs> I mean, you know what, like one of the things that I read in a book and I'm just getting total Star Wars geek now, one of the things that I read in this book called by James Lucino called Dark Lord, the Rise of Darth Vader, it, it talked about how he's pure, just pure offense. Like he is just like, the, he's like with every, with every step a strike, with every strike a step and every single, there are no feints, there's no blocks. 
every strike is meant to, every strike is meant to disable or kill. Gotcha. And I just thought that was so like interesting about like that's his style. Um, whereas like a Darth Maul is is form seven, which is Julia, when it's more like staccato strikes. And I'm gonna stop before I tell you all seven <laughs> forms of lightsaber combat because uh, I did want to ask you real quick. I know you did a one man show called Mister Nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What was that like to bring your own one man show to the stage? Thank you. That was that was um, <clears throat> one of my dreams when I wanted to be a stand up uh, is do my own one man show. So I came up with a one man show um, early in my stand up career. Um, and that title comes from Mr. Nobody comes from a title that my, I have one brother. He's my younger brother. He's five years younger than me. And, uh, my dad, cause my brother was really hard headed and he's very unique. He, he, he picks his own path and he goes. So my dad would always say, you know who your brother listens to? He listens to Mr. Nobody. <laughs> so every time my brother got in trouble or whatever, my dad would always say that. Like, oh, you know, you know who your brother listens to? He listens to Mr. Nobody. So. Cause, and my standup was a lot about my life coming from Trinidad to America, the challenges I had, my family, you know, uh, my funny relationship with my dad and my mom, like my funny relationship with my dad is like, he shows affections, but he can't say it. <laughs> so right. I, I like to make him uncomfortable. I tell him I love him. He just like, <laughs> whoa, whoa. he just can't deal with it, you know? Um, so stories about that, stories about my mom. I have a very close relationship with my mom. Um, so I, it was about family and things. So. I did it at a coffee shop and everybody knew who I was. And it was fun because it was a show I got to create and my family was part of it. My mom was at the front door. My dad did the music. Oh, nice. You know, brother came late to see it because he's <laughs> always late. Um, uh, so, you know, so it was, it was a, it was a, it was a labor of love and it was, you know, my family got to be a part of it. And, uh, and it was a great show. I kind of recorded it, but um, at the time, I think the recording, the room, it was so packed that the camera couldn't be where it had to be. So we had to move it. So right. it didn't get recorded well. Uh, but the reason it couldn't get recorded was because there were too many people. Right. Right. Before we close out, I just had, I had a couple of like specific like park kind of questions to ask. Uh, do you still go into the parks a lot? Like just to, just to have fun or like are people do people recognize you when you walk around in there? People recognize me a lot when I walk around. Um, so um, I used to. You know, uh, before Inside Disney Park stuff, I, you know, when I was younger, when I was working the parades and the things like that, I was in the parks all the time. So now mostly um, I go to the park when there's something new. Like I go to Pandora a lot. But for the most part, I'll be going by Food and Wine Festival, mm-hmm. Flower and Garden Festival to see something. A lot of times, you know, I'd be working stuff. But I go for fun sometimes, uh, take some friends, I hang with friends. But I really like when I go to food and wine festival, I can't just be walking around like, (laughs) (laughs) right. Cause you always got to kind of be like, have that branding in mind. Right. Exactly. So I could be having fun. I'd be like, Oh, you need, you need to try this. I'm drinking this. Look what I'm drinking. Right. So they can't, they can be like, Hey, did you see the inside Disney parks guy throwing up in the bush? (laughs) Exactly. So that's basically, it's a very, it will. So my friends always laugh at me. So it can be a little cocky, but I'm, but it's not. So I'll say, look, guys, you, I I have to behave myself. They'd be like, why? I said, well, I can't just be like running around acting crazy. I said, because sometimes people recognize me. Like, nobody recognizes you. I'm like, so, uh, you know, so sometimes I have to be in a different mode, you know. I would say the two yeah. most recognizable people that kind of bring people's Disney vacations to them are you and Stacy from Must Do Disney. And mm-hmm. you're around a lot more than she is. So, mm-hmm. you know, I yeah. definitely see that. 
Yeah, um, she she is she is a she is. I would love to meet her one day. She's uh seems like a very very nice person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. She and she is. She is the. She is. I. I'm just happy to be in the category of Stacy yeah. because everybody knows Stacy. Must do's. That's what I. You know. So, what would you say is your favorite attraction in the parks? Um, my favorite attraction in the parks. If oh, so, three answers. Is that that's fine? Can I do that? Yeah. My favorite attraction in the parks is Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Okay. Then it is. Um, Flight of Passage. Yeah. And then it is Rise of the Resistance. I had a feeling you were going there. I was hoping it was on there. Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason it's not on there 100%, like hands down, is because I've only ridden Rise of the Resistance twice. Same. And there's so much to take in that most of it is adrenaline. (laughs) (laughs) So I just need to calm down. And experience it so I can. So it's, it's a fantastic ride. Don't get me wrong, but I've ridden Flight of Passage enough where I can sit back and be like, okay, well, I didn't notice that detail. Mm-hmm. All right, cool, cool. this is cool. All right, I like it because A, B, and C. If you ask me why I like uh, Rise of Resistance, it's it's a lot of adrenaline. I like it because it's three rides in one. Yeah. I like it. Have, Pete, have you experienced it? I have not yet. Okay, so I won't give any more away, but it is it is an experience. Yeah, one hundred. Yeah, we have a we have a Morty Monster rides Rise of the Resistance video up on YouTube, and um, it was just it's it's once in a like you, I I can't say it's once in a lifetime because you know you could do it multiple times, but it's <laughs> it's just such an amazing experience. Um, what would you say? Do you have a favorite Disney snack? Uh, yes, my favorite Disney snack snack is um, I don't know if they still have them, but it's the Mickey pretzel. But it's uh, a pretzel with cream cheese in the middle. I believe they still have that in Hollywood Studios somewhere. Yeah, they still do. Yes, that's yeah. where I used to get it. Yeah. Yeah. The now, what about a favorite Disney restaurant? Is there like one one particular restaurant you like to go to? Um. Yes, my favorite Disney restaurant is Boma. Oh, okay. I've never eaten at Boma. Ooh, all you can eat at Boma. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've got to try. Pete, have you have you eaten there? I have eaten at Boma. Oh, okay. Very cool, very cool. What about a favorite resort? Favorite resort, hands down, is even though I said I like Boma, I really like um, um, Wilderness Lodge. Okay. Yeah, I really like Wilderness Lodge. I feel like I'm not in Florida. Yeah, I love Wilderness Lodge, especially at Christmas when they put the big tree in the lobby yeah. next to the fireplace. Yeah. Like yes. that. Oh, that's such a cool thing. And now finally... Favorite Disney character? <clears throat> Favorite Disney character is, of course, I'm going to just I'm make it simple. It's Goofy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That, that's awesome. That's yeah. super. Pete, anything that you wanted to ask or add? Uh, you know, I almost want to say a big thank you, even for all of our listeners, because when we get to watch you, I mean, you bring the energy that we're all feeling sitting in our chairs. So, I mean, it's such a wonderful experience. I mean, we all really appreciate it. Well, thank I appreciate that, Peter, because uh, um, uh, I like to hear that. And it's a huge compliment to me because I'm also genuinely excited, you know. So, it's the excitement you see is real. And I'm excited to, like I said at the top of the um, show, I'm so blessed and privileged to be the one to say, 
hey, everybody, we're going to show you blank for the first time. Mm-hmm. You right. Watch wherever you are, make sure you tune in, check it out, take a look. And to be able to do that, uh, if I never do it again, I was blessed and I appreciated every second of it and I will remember doing it. And if I get to do it again, it's even better. Uh, uh, Mark, where can people find you like on social media? I know you have a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So on YouTube, uh, make look up at LOL for the number four, Mark Daniel. That's laugh out loud. The number four, Mark Daniel, a lot of videos on there. Uh, uh, a lot of funny videos, a lot of star Wars, uh, spoofs and jokes. Um, also, TikTok. I've been doing my crazy TikToks. Yeah. So that's LOL again, the number four, Mark Daniel, and um, at LOL at LOL for Mark Daniel, all LOL for Mark Daniel uh, on Twitter as well awesome. and Instagram. Just kept them the same. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's branding for you. You know, like keeping it consistent. Mark, yeah. thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate having you as a guest on our 200th episode. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was an honor. Thank you for putting me in the same. Uh, same uh, show that Bill Farmer was on. My favorite <laughs> character. He does the voice of it. So many other characters too, but mm-hmm. also. Oh yeah. You know, so uh, thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Uh, Pete, it was nice to meet you. And Likewise. thank you, Kevin. And uh, thank you to all your listeners for listening. I hope you were entertained and I'll see you inside Disney parks, whether I'm working or just having fun. Wow. There you have it. The one and only Mark Daniel. What an awesome guy. What a class act. What an, what a, what a fantastic interview he was here on the show. Uh, couldn't be happier with episodes 200, right? Yeah. No, like he, he really like talked to us for a long time and, you know, gave us so much wonderful information while also managing to not spoil the magic for people. Like I really appreciate that he does that. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Like it would be super easy to just be like, yeah, this is what happens. And, and instead he's just kind of like, you know, preserving it for people. Uh, and, you know, what's funny is that, like, when we were done with the interview, Mark stayed on on the co- on the call with us for like what another twenty twenty five minutes or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, just talking yeah. like about Predator stuff, and because he's a big fan of the Predator movies, as we said in the interview. Um, but yeah, he he's like in love with. He looked like he was in love with Rogue Comics. So he's welcome to come here anytime. That's true. That is very true. Uh, you know, maybe if he does New York Comic Con again. Uh, all right, so um, 200 episodes, my friend. Here we are. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations to you, and thank you for just always being here for the last 200 episodes, and for you know giving your time and your commitment and your passion for Disney. Thank you for bringing that to the show. This show doesn't exist without you. Oh, listen, come on. We both know you are the uh, you're the spearhead behind this. You I, you do put I, in the the. Yeoman's amount of work and I look. I, all I, I, I may, I, I, may I may do like a lot of like the editing and stuff like that, and, but I mean, I think you're. The, I always feel like you're the heart of the show. Like, well, listen, that's why you know <laughs> our team works, right? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good partnership. It's a, it's a give and take partnership, uh, and it's going to continue for you know as long as you guys will have us in your life. And thank you guys, uh, all of our listeners out there. Thank you guys so much for listening for 200 episodes. Um, now, I know that we only have about 160 on iTunes because for some reason iTunes deleted like our first 40 episodes. Oh, no. But I do have them and I am planning on re-uploading them. Cool. Um, so I just got to figure out like how to go about doing that so that they appear in order, which I'm sure is possible. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting technical with you guys. But thank you guys for, 
you know, supporting us for all of for all these years. Six years we've been with you guys now, and it feels like six days because you know you guys have been so wonderful and so supportive, and we love our audience like we really do. And like we don't consider you guys fans or listeners; we consider you Disney friends from around the world. That's why we always say you know hearing from our friends from around the world. And I know I've loved meeting those of you that I've met. Pete's loved meeting those of you that he's met. Um. You know, just what more can we say? But thank you. Yeah, I think the joy of this is we're all kind of the same person. You know yeah. what I mean? We all have this thing in common. We all love talking about it. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm no more Disney expert than any of the people I meet. Like, that's what I love about it. Like, uh-huh. we all kind of have this shared love. So it's great. Yeah. And I love learning things from our listeners, too. Like, I love when, when um, people come to me and they'll be like, um, you know, a- actually, uh, remember when we were talking about um, like the Magic Kingdom and how many people are in it per day? Yep. I got a lot of like feedback on that with people telling us that like, no, it's like 50,000 people a day. Like, um, that's what I assumed. Yeah. So I, so color me surprised. Hmm. Um, but our world tour continues, uh, and it's going to be sooner than you guys think. Actually, we are, re- since the next episode of our world tour is going to be covering Liberty Square, we are going to be releasing the episode on the 4th of July, which is very exciting. That's fun. Yeah. No, super excited to do that. Uh, to bring you, you know, the most patriotic land in all of Disney on the most patriotic day of the year for, you know, the United States. Um, so, you know, hope you guys have a very happy 4th of July. Happy Canada Day to all of my north of the border uh, brothers and sisters. And, um, yeah, so anything else you want to add this week? No, let's get to it. I'll, I'll get new walking shoes. Yep. We're going we're gonna to do this next yep. one up. Absolutely. Well, uh, that's going to do it for the 200th episode of Two Men in the Mouse. Thank you so much to our special guest, Mark Daniel, for coming on and for, for chatting with us about all things Disney and his role with the company. Uh, very, It was a very special interview, something we're always going to remember. And thank you to all of you guys. And if you want to show your appreciation, why don't you check out Pete's store, Rogue Comics. Mark Daniel approved. Uh, over there in Cranford, New Jersey at 105 North Union Avenue in Rogue Comics. Um, Cranford, New Jersey, 07016. Or you can go to roguecomics.com where you can find a link to Pete's eBay store. If you're planning a trip to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise, Adventures by Disney, any Disney resort throughout the known world, Aulani in Hawaii, or Universal Orlando Resort here in Orlando, Florida, contact our friend and sponsor Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, who has been with us pretty much since the beginning. Um... Dave Weikert will plan your Walt Disney World vacation for you at no additional cost to you. And when you're on that vacation, if you're in need of a crib or stroller, check out our friends at Kingdom Strollers, who will rent you the crib or stroller of your dreams on your next trip. And uh, for me, folks, please check out the Morty Monster YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Morty Monster. He's also on Instagram at Morty Monster and Friends and Facebook.com slash Morty Monster. Uh, it's, you know, a lovable puppet that takes you around the parks and, and he's all, you know awesome with all his nerdy stuff so um and my books of course you know the ross and Auntie series is up on amazon.com winters of elnora birth of the dark angel also up there uh big news to announce on that front soon i just got the proofs for my first audiobook back uh which i have approved and they're so hopefully within the next month we will have an audiobook of the first book of ross and Auntie. so very very exciting yeah yeah all right folks well that does it for this week pete any closing words see you real soon everybody i'll see you real soon folks Please keep the magic alive every day of your lives. We will see you next week on Two Men and the Mouse. So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow 
just a dream away. If you're standing, please hold on to the handrails and stay clear of the doors until the monorail stops completely and the doors open. If this concludes your visit, we hope you've had a wonderful time and will return home safely. Thank you for traveling with us.